could have been the best, Kate. No. I may be going crazy here, but didn't I warn you about breaking the rules? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll do anything you want. What? What did you say? I said I'll do anything you want. Oh, I know you will. Give me your arm. I said give me your arm. Come on. Welcome to episode 23 of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine and I'm here to discuss the horrors of the world, be it fictional or real. This week we are going fictional with a film that I love and have watched many, many times over and it definitely has that serial killer vibe. And this is a film with spoilers and it is called Kiss the Girls. For forensic psychologist Alex Cross, solving crimes was always logical and always professional. Until somebody made it personal. We got a call from Durham today. Naomi's missing. One of the women abducted was my niece. I got to go. The board shows eight women missing. How close to connected are they? They all share the same profile. All young, late teens, early 20s. Pretty. Yeah. They're all extraordinary in some way. Only two bodies have been found. A killer left a note first of the second murder scene. Signed to Casanova. Casanova, a great lover. Kiss me. Now, the only one who can help him is the woman who got away. I'd like to say something to Casanova. I broke your rules. None of the other women helped. So if you're looking for someone to blame, blame me. What do you see when you escape? There were doors, there were walls, there were stairs. Guy's a pro, a real student of the game, and he likes to play. We get one shot here. When it goes down, I need this guy intact. Every night when I go to sleep, I hear those women's voices. You want to save your niece? Take me with you. This is the most ambitious stunt in serial pathology. This guy's Houdini squared. Come on! Hold it! I think our guy's a little different. I bet these women are alive. Kiss me. Kiss the Girls is based on the book of the same name by James Patterson and was released in 1995. And while the book is second to Along Came a Spider, Along Came a Spider didn't come out until 2001. And again, it stars Morgan Freeman, who stars and kiss the girls the idea of the book unfortunately came from a real life story about four young women who went missing um patterson saw a bulletin about the women in chapel hill which is home to the university of north carolina and some of the shots were actually filmed in north carolina at this location and they actually um spent about two weeks um on location on the streets of durham there the police station we see was a warehouse there 
but the majority of the filming did take place in Los Angeles. Also, a really bizarre fact that I never knew, and I did watch the documentary, so I I don't, but I don't remember seeing this, was apparently Brendan Dassey, who you might know from um, the making of a murderer documentary on Netflix, you know, about the one about him and his uncle, Stephen Avery. Well, while he was on trial for the murder of uh, Teresa Halbach, which I think he's actually still in prison for, apparently Dassey said he got the idea of the confession from reading the book, Kiss the Girls. There was also some other controversy around this story and the release of the film, and this was in a place called Spotsylvania County, which is in Virginia. And this was due to the fact that the story of this film was very close to home for its occupants. On September the 9th, 1996, a 16-year-old girl known as Sophia Silver, she went missing from the front steps of her house and her body was found about a week, uh, sorry, about a month later. And apparently there was no sign of a struggle as Sophia was simply sat outside her house doing homework. Her sister was even at home at the time and she heard no commotion. And Sophia was found off State Route 3 in King George County where she had been dumped in a creek and after the murder of Sophia, she was wrapped in a white cover and some of her pubic hair had been shaved. And then on May 1st, 1997, uh, sisters, 15-year-old Kirsten Lisk and 12-year-old Katie, they also vanished from their home. And both girls were found five days later after their bodies were found in the South Anna River, which is close to Old Ridge River in Hanover County. And Hanover County is just about an hour's drive from where um, the girls lived. And both girls, again, had their pubic hair shaved and all three girls had been raped. Investigators obviously believe that this was the work of a serial killer, which is a fair presumption as um, the cases were very similar with both being taken from their homes. Also, both girls had their pubic hair shaved, dumped in water and DNA was obtained from both sites and it showed there was a match. The police were correct in their assumptions as it turned out that all three girls were kidnapped, raped and murdered by a Richard Mark Edward Evans. Evans, he started his criminal career at a very young age and it progressed as he got older. Um, like in January 87, he exposed himself and masturbated in front of a 15 year old girl, which he received three years probation for. He's also suspected of abducting and rape in 1994 and 1995 in uh, Massopanets, Virginia, which again is really close to Spotsylvania. And unfortunately, he wasn't caught until June 27th, 2002. Um, on June 24th, he abducted another girl from her garden and took her to his apartment where he raped and tied her up. But luckily for this girl, he fell asleep, so she was able to escape and identify him to the police. And once cornered by the police, he took the coward's way out and would never face any punishment for what he did. He managed to shoot himself that very day he was caught. Forensics would later find evidence and confirm him as the killer of Sophia, Kirsten and Katie. And it's believed he could have done this to more girls, but I guess we'll never know because the coward took the easy way out. So as all the murders happened, 96, 97, and the film was released quite close, especially to the second murders, you can understand the reluctance to screen the film. Luckily, everyone involved who had the power to stop the film from being shown near where the murders took place, they were on board with the parents' request. Scott Cohen, was the president of film for RC Theatres, was happy to pull the movie. As he said, the community came to us and we felt that it would have been inappropriate to run the film. So we decided to withdraw it 
and not rub their noses in it. Paramount were also okay with the decision. I think this was really great as obviously films are made of a certain nature that can be stressful to certain viewers. And I'll be honest, I was quite surprised to hear that they actually agreed to, to pull them. But at the end of the day, you know, it's money for the studios, but I really think they did the right thing and I'm glad that they did. But it did obviously make its way to other cinemas across the country. Kiss the Girls came at a time when psychological thrillers were at the forefront of the 90s with films like Silence of the Lambs, Seven, Basic Instinct, Misery, Primal Fear, Cape Fear. And while these films are classified as thriller, they're 18s and let's face it, they're pretty terrifying. Films don't need to be gore as horror. I prefer the less is more approach. I cover The Silence of the Lambs, which I personally think is a psychological horror. I cover Lambs in episode one and I cover Seven in another podcast I used to do called Show Me the Podcast. But, but both films, they cover horror. You have serial killers, you have murder. They are unbelievably dark. And that is just like Kiss the Girls. If you look at the best psychological thrillers for the 90s, a lot of the films I mentioned are on that list. I mean, who doesn't remember Lecter and his father beans with Keontae or Sharon Stone and that infamous crossing of the legs or Kathy Bates smashing those ankles in misery? These films people know and remember. The 80s may have been a decade for horror, but the 90s was for psychological thriller slash horror, depending on how you look at it. While Kiss the Girls doesn't make it to the top 10 of some of those lists, for me, I definitely find that it is up there for me. One thing all these films have in common is that they are utterly disturbing. This genre of the 90s, it really, I personally find, took us to a dark place. I was born in the 70s, so in the 90s, in 1990, I turned 16. This is when I started like experimenting with different types of music from the 80s, you know, clubbing. And while movies were taking their dark, dark psychological turn music was too with bands like nirvana pearl jam smash and pumpkins to name a few it all became so dark not only in the lyrics or in the words you know the words spoken in film or sang you know but also visually if you look back over that decade you will see a lot of you know grim doom gloom you know but if you think back to the decade before let's face it in films and music of the 80s taken aside the horror genre it was very bright there was a lot of color stories of love and that's how I remember it yes of course there were as I said some dark movies but you know for me growing up through that whole decade of the 80s it was all heartthrobs leg warmers new kids on the block so it was quite a big leap to what we're seeing in the 90s and that of course includes this film I'm going to discuss so Kiss the Girls was released in 1997 was directed by a Gary Fled Fledder and the screenplay is from David Class. It's an 18, it runs for two hours. It had a budget of around 27 million and made just over 60 million. This was quite the year for some good movies. We've got The Fifth Element, Scream 2, which coincidentally I'm doing in a future episode with a guest, Jurassic Park, Lost World, uh, you know, I Know What You Did Last Summer, LA Confidential, and of course the massive epic movie in every sense of the word, Titanic. There are quite a few more, but despite all the movies, I did see quite a few of them. But I do remember Kiss the Girls amongst them all. It stars Morgan Freeman as forensic psychologist Alan Cross. His niece, Naomi, is played by Gina Riviera. And she goes missing and Alex consults with detective Nick Ruskin, who is played by Carrie Ells. I never know how to pronounce his name. Um, to try and find out what happened to her. Alex believes that Naomi has been taken by a serial killer known as Casanova. Another woman is then kidnapped, Dr. Kate McTiernan. She is played by Ashley Judd. 
And, you know, he discovers many of these women, you know, he believes them to be alive and imprisoned in this lair. Kate manages to escape after she's taken and she teams up with Cross to help try and find this killer. While Freeman and Judd had the main roles, at one point the role of Dr. Alice Cross was to go to Denzel Washington, which I could have seen, and Gillian Anderson as Dr. Kate McTiernan. Could have also seen that. But while I could actually see them as both of these roles, I do think Freeman and Judd were actually really good casting. For Freeman, apart from a couple of films, this was pretty much off the back of Seven. But, you know, I feel like here he has more of a lead role. In Seven, he had to share, obviously, with Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt was this really big up-and-coming star. And within the film, Brad Pitt is more hungry for everything. Whereas in this film, his performance feels a lot more central. You know, Cross is the main protagonist and he obviously becomes more involved because one of the girls kidnapped is his niece and it makes the whole thing a lot more personal. This story is a little different also from like other films regarding serial killers. The killer is more of a collector of women. He doesn't just kill them outright. Not that that's better. He has a particular taste. It's all very thought out and only a certain type will do. The main antagonist is Casanova, a.k.a. Detective Nick Ruskin. And there's also a secondary antagonist, and this comes in the form of the Gentleman Caller, a.k.a. Dr. William Ruldoff. And he's played by Tony Goldwyn. How ridiculous are these names? Casanova and the Gentleman Caller. That's the one thing I do not like, that names are given to serial killers. Now, granted, this is just a film, and a lot of times they might give them to themselves, but I think... When you put such a title on it, it gives them like this sense of importance and makes them into some sort of celebrity. While some, of course, make up their own names, some are given by the press. You know, Casanova is a term that's associated with being a great lover. They even use this line in the effect of the real Casanova wouldn't approve. So what do you think, you know, when you hear the term Casanova? For me, it's not in a positive way. And looking, you know, into the real Casanova he was a piece of shit apparently um i didn't know all this but apparently the italian-born casanova was a rapist a pedophile a scam artist and an all-around scumbag so the name is pretty fitting for our killer here and the gentleman caller sounds like a man of the night who gets paid for his services now i have no issue with male sex workers engaging in consensual sex with individuals of an appropriate age but let's face it this character is a far from a gentleman the high opinions they have of themselves is a level of narcissism i will never comprehend so the world's greatest lover and the gentleman caller both like to rape and murder young beautiful women one is based in north carolina and the other in la they're both doing the same thing basically the credits at the beginning do give us a taste of what is to come and it is truly terrifying it shows the killer having so much control over the situation the fact he was already in the home this is what we see at the beginning waiting watching like this is a tactic that was also been used by other killers such as theodore edwards coney who hid in an attic before murdering his victim who was also an acquaintance 75 year old peter uh, philip peters this way of watching your prey is scarier you know the most as you don't know they are there you don't hear them breaking the door and an alarm go off they're already there. When you think that you're safely locked in your house, all your windows and doors are closed, you're not. We know straight from the offset we are in for something extremely disturbing here. It's similar to Seven in the fact it starts off dark and it just keeps going darker and darker. We don't get eased in slowly. We don't get a chance to think. We are just thrown into it and this film never lets up. 
also the killers within this film they're not really what you'd expect like we live in a world where we feel the boogeyman is obvious but this is rarely the case you know we might find people a bit odd but you never really think of them as being as evil as they actually are like the two killers are what you would think of as upstanding citizens you know ones you'd feel safe around a policeman and a doctor you know people that are supposed to protect you and save lives but both men while they have these very high profile careers they're very different in the way they conduct themselves there is a lot of jealousy from the gentleman caller rudolph towards Casanova. like Casanova, he's got a certain type of woman he likes to choose he doesn't just go for what's easier he has to have what he wants his particular type and a woman that cross describes as extraordinary he wants a woman with personality someone he is attracted to and he believes they feel the same way about him they will be in love with him while he obviously is an awful human being he also appears to have this like disassociative personality disorder he has a few identities he wears a mask for each personality when kate is discussing what happens with cross you know she mentions how the mask changes plus he's also a police officer and he's able to go about his job like nothing has happened but then having said that there are some killers that while you know they may not be police officers they do like to you know like inject themselves into the investigation of somehow but this is his job and there may be some sort of satisfaction in knowing what is going on while all the others involved in the case don't plus he doesn't come across as aggressive or out of control like rudolph he has a clear cut plan of what he wants there are of course rules to stay alive basically they would need to stay quiet and not try anything and of course if these rules are broken you're going to be killed and punished in some way such as your hair being cut off or tied to a tree which is what we see at the beginning they have managed to kidnap quite a few women and then of course he's gone for Kate Matiernan but she is a very strong character she's into kickboxing but she's also very mentally strong not just physically Ashley Judd does an absolutely amazing job here she's so convincing as a woman who may be a victim to Casanova in this you know in a sense but he did take her but she's not a victim in how she deals with it all she's very much aware that something bad has happened to her but she uses that to bring justice she doesn't shy away from a really traumatic event in her life like all the other girls Kate she is told there are rules never break them if she wants to survive but you know Kate breaks them she finds out there are other women there she calls out and tries to get someone to talk to her and of course she soon finds out she's not alone this was one of the rules do not call out and there is obviously a reason for this and building up her strength for when the abductor is going to come back to her room she does manage to attack him and escape she doesn't take this line down the whole escape scene i have to say it's so intense and it's so chaotic and you feel the confusion from kate and you're running with her and you just every step she takes every side of the wall she bangs to every way she looks you are there and the camera you know it's not still and that adds to it and when she does finally find a door that leads her to the outside it's so bright that you can barely see she looks around her up and down and the way the camera's moving it's so unsettling and it's one of those scenes when you especially see it for the first time you almost you know that thing you do where you kind of stop breathing as you you know a little as you wonder will she actually get away and even like re-watching this over and over you still get that same feeling despite knowing what happens like kate 
catches Casanova off guard. He is so arrogant and confident in what he is doing. He doesn't believe the women will try anything. He thinks he's in such control. But the lack of awareness of what Kate is capable of would make him, he kind of drop his guard and not think he had to take any real precautions like to prevent this escape. And that door should not have been unlocked. I like how determined she is. And when he comes up to her, you know, there's a choice to be made. She's ran out, she's gone through the woods and she either can go back with him or she can jump off of a very high cliff into water. She doesn't utter a word here as he's trying to like reason with her. And you can see the wheels like turning in her head as she realizes she needs to make a decision now. If she had longer to think, she might not have jumped, but with jumping, she had more of a chance of surviving than staying with him. And what's really interesting here is the way he speaks to her. You don't really see him. You kind of just see him from the back and he's like swinging this rope around, like he's about to bring back like a cow that's got lost from the herd. And we can hear him actually saying things like, easy girl, easy girl. That isn't a normal way to speak to a person, but you know, to him, she isn't a person. And that shows in this interaction, she's a thing, a thing he believes he owns, like the way a farmer would own his cattle. His arrogance is what saves her. His own belief in his own bullshit is what causes major fuck up. He didn't think she would do this. Like was not secure in the door belief in that or was it just simply a mistake? So Kate does jump and she does survive and that is thanks to a couple of kids who get her out of the water. And after all this, she gets the strength and helps Cross to try and catch Casanova. This is where she's not a victim. I like the character of Kate. She doesn't need to be rescued. She doesn't just sit and wait for things to happen. She takes control. And this is the biggest kick in the teeth to Casanova. He thinks that he's basically all that and she completely crushed that view he had of himself. And of course, he thinks that she's special. This one's special. And we see her then in a news conference when she says she broke the rules, not the other girls. She still, after all she has been through, wants to protect these other girls. His beef should be with her and no one else. And I like how she talks to him here. She looks dead on in that camera when she's addressing him. She has got so much gumption. She is telling him she is not scared. She knows he could come back at any time, but that doesn't stop her as she stares down that camera lens and she holds that stare. So after all this, Kate wants to help. She wants to catch him. But Cross believes that she isn't able for it. But Kate, again, holds her own. And she says, do you think I'm some sort of tourist in this because I wasn't raped? And it's true. She may not have been physically raped, but she is part of this. And she knows more than anyone else. So they better start listening to her. Again, she holds her own with that look. She looks Cross right in the eye and doesn't break from it. In that moment, he knows that she is there and there is no other way that this is going to be done. She uses her pain as a way to toughen up even more than she already is. It makes her even stronger. Like Judd uh, took lessons for kickboxing from for this film from stuntman David Lee and wanted to do her own stunts. And while she did do some, the studio did put their foot down when she insisted on jumping off of that 150 foot cliff into the water. And uh, which I agree with <laughs> the stuntman, the stuntman put on a wig and he threw himself in and apparently he really did miss the rocks. And if you watch that scene, you'll see her falling. Um, Well, him. And uh, it is a very close call. But now Kate is free and she is working with Cross and he 
is obviously aware that his niece is alive and he can, you know, and the focus turns on getting her. While the other women um, are involved, she, Naomi is the name that obviously keeps popping up. And throughout we see like this very calm and collected um, Dr. Alex Cross, despite the fact that his niece is missing, he still manages to keep it together. That's a very Morgan Freeman thing. You'd never really see him getting, you know, go over the top, but he gets his point across that way. You know, when Naomi's mother is losing her mind and, you know, he calms her down. But there is a stage, you know, when we do see him struggling where he does kind of flip a bit and you can't blame him for this. And that's, you know, while he's out investigating and they come across what has to be, what has to be one of the sleaziest characters in film. Now we have the other two guys, but this guy, I think he creeps me out more than the other ones. And he's not murdering people, apparently. He's just doing fucked up stuff. And this is with Dr. Wicks sacked, and he is played by a William Converse Roberts. If there was a poster boy for sleaze, this guy would be it. He is so vile and so perverted. Now, while he is to some extreme form of bondage, no judgment here. Again, if it's between two consensual adults, you do you. But how he discusses it shows a complete lack of respect for what is going on for these missing women, namely Naomi. He makes a point of saying all the sexual activities are consensual, but he does like to wind people up and you can tell that he gets off on that. And this is evident when he's been interrogated by Cross. He talks about his niece in such a perverse manner that this is when Alex loses his call. And as I said, let's be honest, who can blame him? That's not really the only place we see Alex kind of change a little, like why he keeps his call most of the time obviously we see him break but there's also a bit of a a shift in the relationship between him and Kate at first it's all very professional they meet in hospital after she's fished out the water you know she's dying nobody can really figure out what's going on but he does but once she's out of hospital they begin working together and this isn't obviously the norm with most cases she was the victim of a serial killer and while she does know more than anyone else because she's been there she's seen it she's heard him talk she has seen how he's move, how he moves it's very unorthodox and as they work together we begin to see their relationship take just a little turn it's not anything over the top it's not in your face where we feel they're going to have like a romantic embrace but there is a slight flirtation there and you know, you really begin to feel that they start to actually care for each other. You know, for the middle part, she's kind of just tagging along, which to be honest, she's more than that in this film. And I'm glad that they correct that and we start to see more of what she's actually capable of. Why this relationship is kind of like a bit unsure, we also start to get closer to finding out about Casanova. We get to see more of him and Rudolph. Rudolph is so out of control after he was nearly caught and this causes a problem for Casanova he goes to the lair of Casanova he doesn't wear a mask and that's one thing Casanova keeps himself covered and this lair dungeon-esque place it's so hidden that no one would hear you scream it's out in the middle of nowhere it's underground it was actually constructed on a soundstage in the Paramount studio lot you know the set does scream Silence of the Lambs granted Buffalo Bill you know, he didn't have as many women down there at one time, but his plans are, of course, different. But it definitely gives off that Gary Heidnick vibe, which, you know, did inspire Science of the Lambs. Heidnick kept more than one woman down there, but that's a whole other episode. But I think what makes the scene, if it could get more terrifying, is we've seen the Gary Heinicks of the world. This film and scenes of it 
are inspired by real events so it's not out the realm of possibility like that of like superhumans like michael myers or jason Voorhees. while people do stab there's a difference to it compared to this like these bogeymen are very much real so in this scene within the lair it's like the differences really come through yes they're both disgusting but rudolph's emotions get the better of him all the time that's his downfall he is consumed by jealousy about not being top dog about not being the ultimate lover that he risks it all if he can't be the best then no one can when rudolph is down in the lair he shows himself to the women and casanova catches him casanova he still hides who he is we see him talk to the darkness you know casanova's smart and especially since kate escaped they need to keep a low profile hide who they are and Casanova doesn't like anyone touching his possessions. These women are his. And when he sees Rudolph trying to touch them, especially with Naomi, he doesn't like it. She plays only for me, could because she plays the violin. The whole situation is getting out of control and both men are fighting for that top spot. Rudolph's emotions, they are his ultimate downfall because he becomes killed, but he also then becomes a problem for Casanova's identity. Rudolph's approach to women is very different. He's very brutal, he's very aggressive, and he will you know, kill it of a drop of a hat. He wants notoriety. And he also kept trophies, body parts. Whereas Casanova, he's more reserved. This couple actually met in university because Casanova found out that Rudolph had killed a young couple and this made him feel he could trust him, tell him his own messed up ideas about what he wanted to do with women. But that was a mistake, obviously. And while it may come across that Casanova is this cool and collected one, we soon realise that, you know, he is only like that when he's in control, when he's in his own home, when he's in his own situation, when he can navigate everything. Because as soon as that changes, all bets are off and we really get to see who he is and how if things aren't going his way, he's not quite the reserved person we think he is. And this would happen in the end scene when we find out who Casanova is. So when Kate is home cooking, there's a knock at the door. Detective Rustigan comes in. And this end scene uses a technique that keeps both characters in focus. It's uh, in the kitchen and we see a split diopter lens used here. While we see the characters quite far apart, they're, they're both in focus. And normally when one's at a distance, we don't really get that. But this scene gives us that, and this is a technique used by cinematographers to add a little mystery to the shot. This does tend to make the shots look a little separate, like image, and they've just been put together, you know? And this whole end scene of Kate and Ruskin, AKA Casanova, spoiler alert, it shows what lengths he'll go to to get what he wants. As, as far as he's concerned right now, he's got away with what he's been doing. You know, he knows now that he's, probably gonna get caught so he just goes for it he has to have his way kate got the better of him and he can't have that he would rather get caught so at this particular stage he doesn't realize he he doesn't realize that anyone knows who he is so he's in the house and we're starting to become aware of who he is because cross has got some handwriting and then he re remembers casanova's handwriting and then he joins the two together and realizes that ruskin is casanova but she doesn't know. We know before she does. And I love during the scene how she's cooking a meal. She's got a massive Michael Myers knife. And they really focus on this. And they really emphasize the fact that this knife is there. It's 
as she hands it to him can you can you clean this off for me please so she's she's given him this weapon and you're sat there wondering is he going to use it and he doesn't and it soon becomes very clear to Kate who he is it starts to dawn on her because the conversation takes a bit of a inappropriate turn and this scene while it's quite long and drawn out it really works it keeps the suspense going and we find out you know exactly who he is we find out just a little bit before she does but you know we we kind of are there with her the whole way and she does a great job because her expressions they change so slowly as she's piecing together through the words he's saying and the voice because then the voice of him starts to change from Ruskin to Casanova and then this very intense fight breaks out and she does not take it lightly and you know he's met his match here but luckily she does need a bit of help Alex comes in and this is where this is where we start to see the full delusion of what a serial killer is he describes his time with Naomi because he believes Alex is envious of him because he knew Naomi in a way that Alex never could because she's his niece. Firstly, the relationship wasn't real. She was forced into this, but he doesn't see that. He sees it as Naomi loving him. Remember what Alex said to Kate when discussing, you know, they were discussing how Casanova said he loved her and you know Kate was saying to Alex he believed that he loved me with every inch of his soul and that's how he thinks these women are he believes that Alex wants to know what Naomi is like in the way he knew which is obviously not the case it's like he believes deep down everyone wants to be him wants to have what he had we all have our demons we all have our thoughts but we keep them at bay and he happened to let the world know who he is because Kate got away is his downfall. He couldn't control it either at the end, just like that of Rudolph, but it just took him a bit longer. So as bad as our thoughts may be, you know, they, for most people, <laughs> hopefully, they don't go as deep as Casanova, but he can't see this. But like most serial killers, they have their own version of reality and that is my little spin on kiss the girls and now for something a little bit lighter it's my podcast promo i found this podcast quite late in the game shame on me but secondly it was great because i was able to binge multiple episodes and binge i did so i would highly recommend that after you listen to this you stop what you're doing and go listen and that is a podcast called it's murder up north but i'm gonna let the lovely jenny tell you herself Hi, I'm Jenny, the host of It's Murder Up North. If you're curious about the murderous north of England, this podcast is definitely for you. I've lived in various parts of the north of England. I went to college in the shadow of Saddleworth Moor, where Myra Hindley and Ian Brady buried those five innocent children. I've worked in the city of Leeds, where the Yorkshire Ripper targeted his victims in the 1970s. Knowing how geographically close I've been to these crimes, made me curious and that curiosity became this podcast however my main hope is to help you see the person not the victim make sure you go and subscribe to her rate and review and say lots of lovely things 
Anyway, I'd like to say thanks for listening to this episode and don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. I really do appreciate all the feedback. I've had some nice comments and some not so nice ones. Plus, you know, thanks to all those who've promoted in some form. But if you want some more of me, you can find me on all the social medias, Instagram, Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast, Twitter and Letterboxd, and Nightmare Pod, email, onceuponanightmarepod at gmail.com and Facebook as Once Upon a Nightmare. So again, thanks for listening. Next week, I will be back with a true crime episode and take care and I will chat to you soon. The Pod Breed Network is strictly for the small podcasts that are up and coming in the vast world of podcasting. Pod Breed is made up of many diverse podcasts coming together to achieve the same goal of being the best damn podcast network on the planet. Find out more at podbreed.com.